Open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to be in verses 16 through 17. We've done four, <clears throat> four teachings out of First uh, and Second Timothy. Last week, uh, Pastor Clint was in the first part of Second Timothy chapter 3, um, and the Apostle Paul is giving Timothy these warnings of what of what the church will look like, what it's going to look like in the future, what he's going to deal with as a leader. And one of those is that selfish ambition, thinking about your, yourself all the time, arrogant. Um, he writes to Timothy and, and tells him that there's going to be teachers who want to worm or creep their way into your home, always learning but never coming to the truth, just like in Paul's day and time. That's much like in our day and time as well. Teachers who deceive as they are being deceived. And so how do you fight this deception? How, how do you fight the world that we live in, a world of, of, of knowledge but not always truth? Paul begins to give that right now in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, and read with me. All Scripture is God-breathed, and it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let us pray. Father, Lord God, we want to walk in your truth and in your wonder. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, we can do that. We want to be mature in that, Lord. And may we be reminded that this, what we do this morning is sacred. It's two more gathered together in your name, which is what you have defined it as church, that we would be equipped, that we'd be encouraged, that we'd be challenged. And may that all happen through your word and through the Holy Spirit, Lord God, as you illuminate your scripture to us this morning. We believe this is supernatural, and not just by our intellect alone. God, we thank you for the mind that you have given each of us, but we thank you even more for the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for what you reveal to each mind and to each heart today. In Jesus' name, amen. And I hope you guys realize that too. When we, when we look at Scripture, but we all, always understand, yes, we look at it with our intellect, absolutely, as, as we read and decipher through our mind, but as believers, we believe that the Holy Spirit comes upon us, and that word illumination, which, which means that God is revealing things to us through the Spirit. Like, I've looked through the, the uh, first and second Timothy many, many, many times, and there's always some, uh, some, some new revelation that comes, some things that the Lord is starting to speak to you as you study, but also stuff that you realize, man, that was just the Lord speaking to me. Next week, we're going to be in the, in the book of James. This will be the second time in, I think, about six years that we've went through the book of James together. We'll go through that entire book. May we do it with a new awe and a new wonder, knowing the Holy Spirit is going to reveal stuff to us. Right? Hopefully we can do that. When we're looking at this, 2 Timothy 3, and uh, Paul has given some instructions about a day and time. That, 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 that Timothy is going to work through. And he worked through it 2,000 years ago, and we work through it now, right? Sometimes when, when we're looking at what, what Paul said in 2 Timothy 3, that a time is coming, we always think, okay, well, it still hasn't come yet. No, they've, they've lived through it, and it's in our day and time too. We also know if you read Revelations, it's going to get worse, right? And so it, uh, it's something that we, that we work through now, but also Paul and Timothy work through 2,000 years ago as well. The first thing we want to look at this morning is to put our eyes on Jesus and his gospel, right? That, that's what he's telling him in, in, in verse 16. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, 
right? That, that verse 16, he's telling you, man, put your eyes back on Jesus and his gospel. Some translations, rather than teaching, will actually say, all scriptures God breathed and useful for doctrine, right? So whether you're looking at teaching or doctrine, Right? And doctrine will be some of our foundational truths, and I want to go through some of those today. Um, but as we're looking at doctrine, foundational truth, or just teaching the word of God, would we always do it through the Holy Spirit and getting our eyes back on Jesus? And that's why we come together as a church, two more gathered together in his name, if you are a believer, to be equipped, to be challenged, to be encouraged. And those are all things that I need today. And as I put my eyes on Jesus, maybe, maybe you're like me and maybe you had some, some good stuff happen this week. Maybe some difficult things happen this week. I want to come together with believers in a sacred place. Not that this building is sacred, but the name of Jesus is sacred in this place. And that we would be equipped and get our eyes back on the Lord. Amen. So we want to look at some foundational teachings. And, um, and, and just go through that. And that's what he's talking about, that doctrine, that teaching. Things that when, when we as believers deviate from these pillars of the faith, we should have big question marks. These are things that believers for thousands of years, followers in Jesus Christ, have said these things are true. I'm not going to get everything on the list. We're going to go through a few of them, though. Okay? So 2 Timothy 4 uh, three through four, uh, and this is just a reminder of why we need God's truth. He says, for the time will come when men will uh, not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their eyes away from the truth and turn aside from myths. And we always look at this as this is somebody else. Right, so oh, this is this is the, this is the other group, and and that can be true, but we also need to look at it in our own eyes, in our own life, in our own heart. God, ouch! Sometimes this is me, right? I'm not saying that I'm up here like teaching false doctrine up here. That's not what I'm saying, right? But what I'm saying is that I look at this. It's too easy for me to say, well, well, well that group struggles with this, or this group struggles with this. What about our group? If we're going to grow and and equip, we need to look in the mirror. And there's some things of the Lord that it's just hard for us to swallow. Why? Because we're not God. And we're going to talk more about that. But I would say if you're following the Lord as a believer in Jesus Christ, you're going to come up to teaching, you're going to come up to doctrine, and, and, and that you're going to say, if I was God, I wouldn't do that. Whether it seems very loving or whether it seems very unloving, you're going to come to some things that you say, if I was God, I wouldn't do that. And that is a good thing. If not, you're right in there with the myths and the tickling of ears, right? We want amens. Amens are good. Amens, I agree with that. I agree with that. But to grow, we need some oh ouches, right? We talk about that at different times. Like, Ooh, that challenges me. Amen? And so now we're going to look at some, some pillars of the faith. And these are things, again, that meant believers for a long time have, have made these truths foundational. And when people question them, as they did 2,000 years ago, and as they do now, we as Christians to go, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. And the first thing I want to look at is Matthew 16, 24, as we put our eyes on Jesus. It says, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Right? One, of the, one of the things that's foundational in the gospel of Jesus Christ is that Jesus is Lord. Right? Just like in, in Paul and Timothy's time, Paul wrote this book in Timothy, and he's writing it to Timothy, an early leader. Just like in our time and in their time, there were people saying, man, I want this Jesus, but my way. 
I want this Jesus, but I'm Lord. And that just isn't true. A foundational teaching and pillars. Jesus is Lord, not me, not you. Amen? Galatians 5.24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desire. Grace doesn't mean I keep sinning on purpose. Right? There's a change that happens in us. Right? We're not going to be perfect. Um, months ago, we went through First uh, John, and John does a great job of talking about the difference between walking in sin and stumbling in sin. Walking in sin is saying, I can do whatever I want, how I want. I'm forgiven, so I can sin more. And the Apostle Paul says, no. Uh, the Apostle John says, no, no. Your sinful nature is changed in Jesus. You would say, how does that happen? The gospel is super natural. It's not just words we say. There's a transformation that happens. Grace doesn't mean I keep sinning on purpose, and maybe some of us need to hear that today. Luke 5, 31 and 32. Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And Jesus has asked this in Luke 5, 31 and 32 as he's hanging out with sinners, right? He's hanging out with sinners, people that they would go, man, these are some people that are bad. And the Pharisees and Sadducees, religious leaders of his time, rebuke Jesus, and he tells them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And what we would say here is everybody needs Jesus. And just like 2,000 years ago, in, in, in 1 Timothy's time and in our time, we, we, we like to think, well, well as, a, as a person in the United States, I need the gospel, but that other person doesn't need the gospel. They, they need whatever works for them. As believers, a foundational truth would be everyone needs the gospel. It is the answer to every problem we have, every hiccup that we go through in life, and, and, and speed bump. The answer is Jesus. Amen. And that would be a foundational truth. And sometimes, man, we can get deceived in that. God, Jesus isn't the answer for that. That's just cliche-ish, or that's just something that we say, or something that mom told me, or, or pastor so-and-so. No, no, no. Everyone needs Jesus. 1 John 4, 8. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And there's, there's two foundational truths in there. First, like God truly is love. It says right in there, right? God is love. God is love, but God defines love, right? He gets to define it. And, and just like in, in Paul's time and in the day that the scripture was written and in our time as well, right, society and the world would define love in different ways that God does. And sometimes to our flesh, the way the world defines it sounds better than the way God does sometimes, right? And so we must always go back to that pillar of the faith of God decides what is loving. Not my flesh, not my desires, not my mind, but God. Amen? Romans 3, 23 through 24. For all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the repentance that came by Jesus Christ. And again, this pillar would be all people can be saved through the gospel of Jesus. There's no one too far. Right? There's no one that doesn't need Jesus, but there's no one that can't find Jesus. This is a gift for all if they would receive it, receive this gift from the Lord that they can be forgiven and transformed. We live in a day and time, just like 2,000 years ago, where they just discarded people because of their choices, because of how the way they were born or whatever it would be, and they say they're too far gone. 
we as Christians, the pillar of the faith says, no one's too far gone. Because the gospel is supernatural and it can change you. All can be forgiven and set free. Amen. And the last one we're going to look at this morning is 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 18. The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so will, we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. And this pillar is that Jesus is not dead and he's coming back. Right? And this is something that was questioned in the early church. Was Jesus, was he really resurrected? And the apostles would all go back to, yes, the gospel means nothing. If Jesus wasn't crucified on the cross, died for our sins, but then rose again on the third day. Right? And then he's coming back. That is a foundational truth that should just wow us. You need to be wowed today. Right? Taken in, in your mind, but also in the supernatural understanding, because sometimes my mind just doesn't take it in. But when my spirit takes it in, this man that lived 33 years was God. And he died on a cross for my sins, but on the third day, he rose again. He is not dead, he is alive, and he is coming back. The resurrection and the second coming. Amen. Now, there are more pillars of the faith we could look at today, but we can't look at all of them. Some of you might go, wait a minute, there's, there's 10 more, right? You know, so look, look at some more. And these things are important for you and me. Like, if I build a house, I want to build a foundation, right? These are foundational things that you might even, as a, as a, as a Christian or as a non-Christian, um, be struggling with, right? I'd say go back to the gospel, go back to the truth, ask some deep questions of some people that you know of this, but most importantly, the Lord and his word. And as you dig in and you dig in, you'll find that all these things are true. And as we, and as we lay a good foundation, we get to go deeper. As we lay a good foundation, our faith actually grows. When our faith is shaken and the foundation gets messed up, we go back to these pillars of the faith. God is good, and he saves. Amen? So put our eyes on Jesus and his gospel. The second thing we want to look at is, as uh, Paul is telling Timothy, all scriptures God breathe and is useful for teaching or doctrine. We want to look at the rebuking part, okay? And, the, and how I label it today is the word, all right? The, the, or the word no. So the first thing we want to look at, that, that word rebuke is a no, Right, that, 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 that word for reproof, some of your translations might say reproof, some might say rebuke, and it's really to tell somebody no. Right, so the word no. Does anybody like the word no? Man, I can't, I, man, a cop tells me no, tells me to slow down, and I want to be a righteous man, it makes me mad. Right? My teachers told me no, a coach has told me no, my, my, my friends, no, you can't do that. You just tell somebody, man, you can't do that. And it rises something up in you, right? Right? At, at, at sports games, we'll tell someone they get penalized, you know, start chanting, you can't do that. And if it's against your team, you're mad. Right? You're mad, even though they probably deserve their penalty. Right? So this repro- reproof or re- re- rebuking. Right? Hebrews, Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. So when we look at scriptures and, and, and we're walking with the Lord because we believe he's not dead, right? We believe he's alive and active through the Holy Spirit in our lives. You're not God. And sometimes God says 
No. He gives, he takes, he allows, but he's good and he's in charge. Again, pillar of the faith, right? He's good no matter what I experience. And he's in charge no matter what I experience. And sometimes God says no. Sometimes as believers, and I'm right there with you, I struggle with a God that says no. I struggle with a God that says, no, that's not okay. I struggle with a God that says, just like to Job, the the oceans only go so far, and I'm the one that said how far it can go. Sometimes I struggle with a God that says, you can only live this long before I take you up to heaven. And I say, well, why can't I be like Elijah and Enoch? Come on, God. And sometimes he says, no. We serve a God that says no sometimes because he's good. Many of you guys know uh, Toby Mack, Christian artist that was around in my time and still doing stuff today. And this, this past week, his, his son in his early 20s passed away, right? And when we get shaken and a loved one leaves us, it shakes the faith as it should. If it doesn't shake your faith, you're not alive. You're not being real, right? It shakes the faith. You lose someone you love, and it shakes the faith. And I love what he said in an article that some, some people are asking him, man, how, you know, you told me, Mac, that people look to you, you're, you're, you're a leader in the, in, in, in the Christian world, what do you have to say about this? And he says this, right? My wife and I would want the world to know this. We don't follow God because we have some sort of under, under the table deal with him, like we'll follow you if you bless us. We follow God because we love him. It is our honor. He is the God of the hills and the valley, and he is beautiful above all things. And so, Mac, he writes this, and again, I'm a father of many fathers in here, and just what it would do to me, and it would shake my faith. But my hope is I'd be able to say he's still God of the valleys. Right? I haven't been tested with something like that. Some of you have, and may, and may it shake your faith, but to a good found that God is still good. Maybe you'll have to have others pray with you. Maybe you'll have to uh, seek some counsel that the Holy Spirit would come over you. Maybe you'd have to just cry out, God, I don't believe you're good. I don't feel like you're good, but I know that you're good. Amen? Because sometimes God says no. Sometimes he gives. We love to serve the God that gives, but sometimes he takes. <clears throat> Proverbs three eleven through 12 says this. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. Hebrews 12, 6 says this, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Some of us, we need to take that in today in our growth. We live in a world and time that loves the God of yes. Right? And I'm right there with you like, woo, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, amen. Sometimes he says no. Sometimes he takes, but he's still good. He's still sovereign. He's still in control. And in those moments when we hold on to him and his truth, I believe we find an intimacy with the God that is absolutely amazing and contagious. Right? We want to serve a God that says no. If God never says no to you, then maybe you're not following God. If God never takes from you or feels like it takes from you because he's in charge, ultimately he could have stopped it, then are you really following the Lord? If it's all yeses, yes, yes, God's just always telling you yes, then maybe you're in charge and not God, and that's not good for you. And I'll tell you to wrestle with that, wrestle with that. In our teaching, in our doctrine, 
through God's word, he says, you can't do that because you'll get burned. You can't do that because it's not holy. You can't do that because it's a sin. We don't like the word sin, right? But God says, it is wrong. Don't do it. So whenever we have a new teaching, a new revelation, someone that's so intellectual that says, oh, I found, I found this thing that no one for 2,000 years found, and everyone's like, what is it? What is it? Well, you now can do this, or you can do that. We need to stop in our tracks and go, whoa, 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 whoa. This sounds like 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4, right? And a tickling of ears, or what Paul warned in 2 Timothy 3, always learning, or always, always learning, but never finding the truth, right? We have to stop on our tracks. Whoa, let's make sure this isn't just us not willing to follow a God that says, no, right? Good parents tell their kids no, and um, Paul says we can call him Abba Father. Right? I thank God looking back now that I'm older, I thank God that my dad told me no about so many things. I thank God that my dad forced me to say yes, sir, and no, sir. Right? I wasn't allowed just to, you know, his name is Jack, and I couldn't say whatever, Jack, <laughs> right? That, that was not, I would not have uh, lived well, if I would have said that, and in that day and time, uh, especially, right? But I look back now, and I'm like, I'm so thankful as a man, as a father, that he told me no. He told me yes many times on really good things, and we'll get to that here in a little bit, but saying no is good. Good parents tell their kids no. Go a while, and this our society has done this, go a while and don't tell your kids no, like ever, and see what happens, right? As, as my wife likes to remind me, these kids don't just raise themselves, Right? Something like, what? Yeah, oh, yeah, gotta tell them no. And it's hard. But a good dad does. The second thing we wanna look at is that correcting and that training, which is the way. Right? So we serve a God that says, no, you can't do that. But then we serve a God that corrects. Right? And, and, and maybe for you, that, that word correct almost brings up something negative. Like, oh, I don't want to be corrected all the time. Actually, if, if you want to be right, you want to be corrected. Right? If you're in sports or in academics, like good teachers come up and tell you, no, 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 well, that's not the right way. Let me show, or that's, that's the wrong way. Let me show you the right way. It's called correction. Our, 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 our flesh doesn't like it. And especially as Americans, we don't like to be corrected. But it's the best thing for us. Right? Correction is good. And, and, the, and this definition for um, correction or training is a change that rectifies an error. So when we're wrong, it's important that we're corrected. And we do this like all the time when we're driving, right? You drive, like you correct, you want to like go over here, and if you weren't corrected, you'd crash and burn. Correction is a good thing. The gospel corrects it. It doesn't only just forgive us, but we are corrected through the gospel. The gospel changes you. You don't change for the gospel, and I, and I believe that. Right? My, my, I repent, saying, God, I want you to change me. I want to be forgiven. And the gospel of Jesus Christ begins to change me. And I've experienced that. And I, and I don't know of any believer that, that is really true in their faith that, that God isn't still changing, but also wouldn't say, oh, yes, who I was before I knew Jesus is 100% different than who I am now that I know Jesus. Because what I thought was right, I now know is wrong, and I don't even want to do it. Right? The gospel changes you. You don't change for the gospel, but the gospel changes you. And God doesn't just tell us what not to do, but he also shows us what to do. Right? Isn't that an awesome thing? Right? He's not just the God of no, but he says, let me show you what it looks like. 
Let me show you what it looks like for the kingdom of God to come together. And I do believe that's part of what our, our job at, at, at this church is, right? The, the, the church is all across the world. That we are a part of God saying no. We, we do that sometimes in our, in, our, in, our, in our word study, in our training. But in that correction, God wants to use us to be the light of the world, to show what it looks like, what the kingdom of God can look like. And that's so, why it's so important that God tells you we love one another. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then John 15, 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I am in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Right? It's the importance of, you know, some of us from our religious backgrounds, we understand the God of no. Some of us from our liberal understandings, we can't even comprehend a God that says no. But some of us from, from maybe from very strict doctrine, like no, 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 God's always saying no. And I think that's important. But what about the God that says yes? What about, about the God that says this is what it looks like? In fact, whenever someone uh, comes with this new theology or this new understanding, says, oh, it's okay to do this. Christians have got this wrong for thousands of years. I will always say, show me. Fine, you're, you're, we're going to fight all day long on what God says no to. But can you show me anywhere in Scripture where God saying yes to that? Because I think that's an important thing as well. And how do we do that? We follow the Lord. And as a church, we want to just continue to do that. Jesus, we're following your writings. This God-breathed word. Like, I believe that the Bible, that God breathed it into man, says this is what I want you to say to all people, to all time. Right? The word of God. Like, and some of us are struggling with that today. Right? And, and a lot of times I'll find that when people are struggling with theology or what is sin and what is not sin, it, really the problem is you've got to go back to they don't believe the Bible is God-breathed. Right? They don't believe what God is saying no is true, and they don't believe what he's saying is, is the way is true as well. Proverbs 22.6 says this. Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. Saying no is the first step, but then when showing what is right takes God. Right? It takes the Holy Spirit Right? Saying, saying no is, 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 is the first step, and it's important that, that, that we do that. But man, and parents, you know this, right? God has like given you your children in such beautiful ways of grace and humor and wonder, but then you also realize how that it takes Jesus. It takes the Holy Spirit. Is showing a child the, the right way is so hard and outside of my flesh. Benjamin Franklin says this, um, tell me and I forget, teach me and I may remember, involve me and I learn, right? And teachers know that. You, 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 you say it and then you model it and then, and then you do it with them and let them be a part of it, right? That is how discipleship happens and it's against our culture, right? We don't want to get our hands dirty, right? Why do we want to do things like the fall party other than the fact we do love chili, Right? And, and, and cornhole tournaments and things like that. I, I do. I'd go just for the chili dogs. Right? But we do that because we really want to be intentional. Like building community is important. Like what we prayed for this morning before the service started that tonight at that, that fall party, that, that supernatural relationships would begin. Right? Relationships about Jesus would begin. Even like new ones fostered. They're like, oh man, you love Jesus. I love Jesus. You're struggling with your faith. I'm struggling with my faith. Let's encourage one another. 
right? And it takes time. Church family is just as important as your immediate family, right? And we know good families take time. Again, like what I said earlier, kids don't just raise themselves. That's why I love house church. Like one of the models we have is house church. We come together in one another's homes, right? You learn how to honor people, right? You can't do what you do in your home and their home. You learn to honor the host. The host learns to offer you hospitality, right? Some of us in our relationships are being trained to be patient or kind by our relationships in the body. I find that not every man or woman, uh, when they were a boy or girl, was taught a good work ethic by their father or their mother, But we can train that in the body with spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers, and it takes time. If you hang around people long enough, you realize that, like, oh, no one taught them this. But they can be taught that through the body. I thank God. When I was was not raised in a Christian home, but I was raised in a Christian family because of my church. From the age of middle school on, every church I was a part of, they said, that's our son. That's our kid. We're going to help raise him. Right, And I thank God that men and women, my friends' parents, took time to help raise me. Correction and training doesn't happen from a distance or from a fast food service mentality. Amen. For to show the way, friends. Right? And it's something that, that we're committed in our leadership. As we grow as a church, God continues to bring us people. Right? We want to also grow by being smaller. Right? We, don't, we don't want huge sanctuary sizes. We don't want people so, so many people. Right? That's why we also do house tours. We don't want so many people that we don't get to know each other, which is really important because this is the best training of the way. Amen? And correction and training doesn't happen from a distance. Right? You, you, you want to see the world change. Right? We see the world and we go, oh, no, they need Jesus. We proclaim the word. We proclaim the way. And we disciple this next generation and watch what God does. It says, all scripture is God-breathed and is used for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Verse 17, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Why do we do this? Because God says, I want you to do some good James 1.22 says, don't, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. And that's why I believe in discipleship. As a pastor, I'm called to it. And the best discipleship I know is that we live out the word of God together. There's no 101 class. There's no whatever class that's going to that's do that. It's called life. Like, I don't just raise my kids on the weekend. Right? I have to raise them every single day. And discipleship is just like it. Live out the gospel every day with your tribe. Galatians 6, 9 tells us this. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. And some of us need to hear that today, right? You're, you're, you're being weary in doing good, so you've come to the bride so we can challenge you and encourage you and pray for you. And for at the proper time you'll reap a harvest. Some of us don't even know what that looks like. May the God of hope, as, as Romans tells us, God's name is hope, that that would be restored today. You can have a harvest, but it's the Lord's harvest. I'm going to go through just a, a, a few people um, <clears throat> doing some research throughout the ages um, that would be very well known in our world, and God used them to do good. first one I look at it <clears throat> is this man, a man named uh, by Matthew Paris, and he's a man... Uh, in Africa, um, 
a writer, um, an atheist, and he, and he looked at Africa and everything they're going through, and he's quoted it saying this, as an atheist, I truly believe Africa needs God. Right? This, this man does not live as a Christian. He's not a Christian. He's an atheist. Right? And when people ask him, what do you think needs to happen for Africa? And he said, man, they need God. Right? He didn't believe in the God, but he sees the product of the God. And he said, whatever that is, they say it's God, it changes them. They need more of that. They don't need more money. They don't need more solutions. They need what those people have. And may that be said about us, right? That so much that, that our community and, and the others in Springfield as well, that our being together, our villages, our tribes, our assemblies, would show the work of God so much that even the atheists, those that are radically against God, would say, well, whatever that is, it's good. Amen? Habitat for Humanity in 1976 was started by Millard Fuller. Right? He's, we all know about Habitat for Humanity, and, and, and maybe even some of us have helped out with it or, or been touched by it. I have some friends that their first homes were Habitat for Humanity all the way in Washington. And in 1976, this man of God and his wife said, man, we got to do something about people's housing. In 1865, William Booth started Salvation Army. As a man of God, I mean, we got to do something about people's, people's needs and, and the poor out there. And many of us are touched here by Teen Challenge in 1960 by David Wilkerson, a man of God that said, saw some boys that were on trial for murder and said, man, they need Jesus. Right? When you truly believe everyone needs Jesus, it changes your life. And he, and he started a ministry that, uh, that, that we believe in here. We have some, some people here from Teen Challenge um, that just do some amazing, amazing things. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, says this, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. And we know things that Martin Luther King did. Why did he, why did he do them? Did he, did, it, did he do it because he, 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 was, he was black? No, I don't believe that, right? Obviously, that was a part of it. But he did it because he said, my God would do something about this. So I'm going to do some good. And we praise God for that life as we close today, know that God wants you to do some good, but you need to be equipped. You need to be equipped. You need to know that sometimes God says no. And then as he is the vine, we hang with him, we know his word, we walk in his spirit, because apart from him, we can do nothing. In him, we can do some main, amazing things. Amen. So as we close today, just, have, just a, a few questions to go through. First one, do you believe that Scripture is God-breathed? Man, for some of us, man, that is, and you might be questioning that, right? I have lots of friends that are, and I think it's a great question. And, and, and there's going to be all sorts of issues until this is resolved in your heart and in your mind. Truly, I believe that, right? How can you follow God that you don't believe in three-fourths of what, he've, what he's written? Right? How can you follow God when it's like, well, I'll take that, and I'll take that, and I'll take this, and I'll take that? Right, that is something to really wrestle with, and I encourage you. You can sit down with our leadership. You can sit down with your house church leader or people uh, that know you, maybe, and, and pray with you. Talk. I believe it's a supernatural. I don't think it's just an intellectual thing. It's a supernatural thing too. Do you believe that Scripture is God breathed? And I find many times that's what we need to be talking with someone about, rather than what's wrong. They already they don't believe it's God breathed, so they're, they're not going to believe what you say. And some of us might be be struggling with that today. Second, do you follow a God that tells you no? Do you follow a God that tells you no like ever? 
And if God hasn't told you no recently, <laughs> then I, I don't know if you've been in your prayer room. I don't, I, I, don't, I don't know if you've been in the Word. I don't know if you've been alive and, like, and living. Like, God tells me no all the time. Like, don't do that. Or, no, you can't have that. Or, no, that's not the season. Amen? Amen. But, God, I want that. I want it now. He goes, nope, not yet. Or, no, not ever. Do you follow a God that tells you what is right? Right, that's the flip side of that. Some of us, like, man, you, know, you understand the God that says no, but what about the God that says yes and shows you what is right? right? And that's what we should be so excited about, what God tells us what is right. right? We have an active God, a living God. And then the last question, are you, are you doing his good? Right? And, and, and the good that we do should always go back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? We don't want to do any good that doesn't go back to the gospel that goes back to salvation, right? Are you doing his good, right? Are, are you spreading the gospel? Are you spreading his love? Are, yes, are you pointing people to his correction because it's out of love? When God tells us no, it's, it's, out, it's out of love. Are you pointing people to God's yes? Are we starting movements and ministries that show his good, that would make people go, why would you start the Salvation Army? Why would you start a Teen Challenge? Why would you start Habitat for Humanity? Why, why did Martin Luther King Jr. do all the good that he did? Because of Jesus, because of Jesus, because of Jesus. Let us pray. Father of God, we love you and we thank you for your word, for your truth. That we can be set free, that we can be transformed. Father, we thank you that you're a God that says no. Because you are in charge and because you love us. And may we believe when you say that this will kill us, that we really believe that it will. Look, at your word says all have fallen short. And so we've all at times ignored, even as believers, we've ignored what you said no to. And we said yes to the wrong thing. God, that's why we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we can have life and have it abundantly for eternity. That we can have life in you because of what Jesus did on the cross. God, I thank you, Lord, that you don't just tell us what we can't do, but you also show us what we can do in Jesus, what the kingdom of God looks like. No more sickness, no more death, no more shame. God, we long for heaven and for your return. And God, I thank you for different manifestations of the kingdom of God here on earth that we see at different times, where people are loving, where people are good, where people are forgiving, where people walk in the grace of Jesus Christ. And Father, I just pray um, from big to small, God, as we are equipped for every good work, work, that we would walk in your righteousness and it would be good. Whether it's big or whether it's small, that it all matters to you as you build your kingdom, Lord God. We love you and we praise you. Uh, there are people in the back that would love to, to pray with you. And there's also communion in the back as we take those elements in worship.